welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the morning service of Saturday the 9th of October 2010. This is part one of two in the seminar entitled Missing in Modern Bibles. Here's Brother Jack Mormon. It's been about four or five years since we were last here and uh, remember it well. And uh, Dot says you can't, my dear wife says you can't tell the same stories because you've already told those. Uh, I would like to share with you the the yellow case that we have our Bible material in. Uh, Dot said, my dear wife, uh, we've been married now 47 years. And I was eight, she was five when we were married, but we've 47 years. And she says, you need to get something to put the umbrellas in at our church. And so I got this yellow container. And she said, couldn't you have gotten anything any brighter? And uh, she said, no, well, you'll have to use this now to go up to Birmingham and carry your, your booklets in those. So that's, that's, what, that's the story of that right there. But uh, again, a, a great blessing and nothing better than to be a Bible Christian. Uh, we were converted in 1964, February, uh, in Indianapolis. I worked at the State Highway Department. I immediately went to a Bible institute in the city, then went off to Bible college. And in my early days, those very first weeks, uh, things happened that have shaped my life right across the years. And within a few months of being converted, somebody told me that I need to stay with the authorized version. But that didn't sink in immediately. And to begin with, I was quite happy to go with one of the modern versions. Right at the very beginning, uh, God sent people across my path, maybe four or five people, that had memorized Scripture. Uh, one fella was a bricklayer. He'd been converted, started memorizing Scripture. He said, Jack, you need to memorize Scripture. Another fella I sat next to in class, he had been sent to prison for armed robbery. Uh, about halfway through his term in prison, he was converted, but he still had to spend the rest of the time. Memorize Scripture. Memorize 1,500 verses in prison. Uh, he said, Jack, you need to memorize Scripture. But the best story, uh, we lived right behind us was a man who had been a professional boxer. And he was quite a good one, but he stayed at it too long. I think he retired when he was about 45. He was about, really, probably 20 years too long. And he got converted, and he really battled. And he went off to Bible college, and he said, you know, I'm battling so much and can't uh, remember anything. And he made a, a covenant with the Lord that if the Lord would just give him back some of his memory, uh, he would memorize Scripture. And he went and memorized something like 7,000 verses of Scripture. And this man lived right behind us. So he said, Jack, you need to memorize Scripture. So I started memorizing out of the King James Bible. But then, of course, you get wiser as you go on. And I went off, and I, we went out to South Johannesburg, South Africa. And in my first year in South Africa, I thought, you know, the New American Standard Version is coming out. I think that would be a good version to use now. And uh, one of my teachers had suggested uh, that we use this as a, as a version. And I can remember, though, I, I will have to re-memorize my verses. But, uh, well, that's all right. Uh, if it's better, I'll re-memorize them. But I found, I found as I tried to re-memorize them into the, from the King James into the much easier to understand, we were told, a New American Standard Version, that it literally gave me a headache. You say, you were imagining. No, I was not imagining it. I would get a headache. Even Tylenol wouldn't help. And uh, I can remember one Saturday evening, 
praying about this and asking God to show me. Do you want to remember? Do, do you want me to rememorize the verses? And the following week, a missionary came through Johannesburg. He missionary to Australia. Some of you might know of him. Uh, if you've ever heard him preach, you'll never forget him. He's very much of an invalid now, uh, but his name is Randy Pike. Have you ever heard of Randy Pike? And uh, southeastern United States. Uh, but he came through and he told me, he said, Jack, you need to look at this. And here's the basics. And that was back in, um, that was 1972, it lit a fire. And I've been studying it, I've been researching it ever since. And let me say, God has promised repeatedly to preserve His Word. We know that it was given by inspiration. We know it was given verbally, uh, not just the concepts. God just didn't say to Hosea, now here's the general idea, Hosea, but you put it in your own words. No, it was verbal, word-for-word word inspiration. But we also know, and in this material, we've listed uh, the key verses, we also know that He's promised to preserve it verbally so much that heaven and earth could pass away, but my words, plural, will not pass away. Heaven and earth may but not His words. And He's preserved it. But how He preserves it is a wonderful thing. Because down across the century, there have been a few folks from day one that just have a heart for it, and they're not going to give an inch. And they're going to hold to every word that is given by God. And God used people down across the centuries. We'll give you some of the great epochs uh, that happened across history uh, uh, that uh, resulted in this. Now, some of this uh, will be a bit of a repetition. Many of you have heard this, but I give a, an opening, just kind of a, uh, an introduction uh, to this, and this is very simple. The second part is very complicated, very confusing. You know, if you're, if you're confusing, people will really think you're wise. So we try to make it as complicated. No, no, it's not, not at all, not at all, not at all. The first part, though, is very direct. The second part, we will go into some of the uh, different areas of it. But basically, the overall issue is pretty simple. Uh, just remember, the modern Bibles are shorter, but they're longer. Now figure that out. They're shorter, but they're longer. Remember that. Uh, I can't carry this Bible. Say, Jack, can't you carry a better-looking Bible with? No, I got this. I we lived in Shropshire for a while, and I would come down to New Street in Birmingham and pass out tracts a number of times, actually. And I bought this in New Street, Birmingham, back in 1988. So that's where this came from. But it's been my reading Bible, and I've just marked some passages in it. And it's like my water. I like to have my water with me. I may not always drink it, but I like to have it. And I carry this Bible with me. But my dear wife said, Jackie, really, you've got to get another Bible. But, but no, maybe next time you invite me, five years. <laughs> but uh, it's shorter, but it's longer. Now remember that. How could that be? Shorter but longer. In the underlying Greek text, it has 2,800 fewer words. I'm talking about the New Testament. The Greek of the New Testament in the modern versions has nearly, let me say, 2,900 fewer words. But the translation of those words tends to be wordier, not as direct, 
taking more words to say the same thing. So, shorter but longer. Now, that's pretty basic. The second thing, uh, well, let me just say a third thing, a third thing, that the whole issue of why we've got modern Bibles goes back basically to two manuscripts. One had been in the Vatican Library uh, at least since the 12th century. It's still there now. It's called Codex Vaticanus. The other they found in a Greek Orthodox monastery at the foot of the traditional Mount Sinai, Codex Sinaiticus. Now, the fact that modern Bibles are based on a Greek text, by the way, much of what we say here today deals with the New Testament. The issues are not quite as uh, great in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, the issues are really huge, really huge. So much of what I say is in the New Testament. But um, the fact that our New Testament in our modern Bibles has 2,900 pure words, what's the reason? These two old manuscripts. And they built a new Greek text upon them, and virtually every, nearly every, modern translation is based on those two Greek manuscripts and they've got 2,900 fewer words. Now, how many is 2,900 fewer words? Turn with me to First and Second Peter. Look at First Peter chapter 1. Now look at First Peter chapter 2. Now look at First Peter chapter 3. Now look at First Peter chapter 4. Now look at First Peter chapter 5. Now look at 2 Peter chapter 1. Now look at 2 Peter chapter 2. Now look at 2 Peter chapter 3. That's about 2,900 words. That's how many words have been taken out of the New Testaments of modern Bibles from Matthew to Revelation. So take First and 2 Peter scatter it right through the Bible, and that's how many? Shorter, but longer. So, let's just ask a couple of questions. First question, would it matter, would it matter if you've got 2,900 fewer words? Absolutely. Absolutely. If you just, we would fight for one word, but there's 20. 900 pure words in the NIV, NASV, uh, uh, whatever, uh, all of the modern versions, all of the, the NIV is the most popular today. Uh, Would it matter if there's 2,900 pure words? Number two, would it matter if there's a total of 8,000 differences? Because not only are there fewer words, but there's different words, and there's different orders, and there's been at least, including the 2,900 uh, fewer words, there's, there's about, uh, uh, what would that be, 6,000 6, other differences. 6,000, so there's a total of 8,000 differences. Now, God's promised to preserve His Word, and now we've got to change our Bible in 8,000 places. We're talking about just the New Testament. Now, would that matter? Would that matter? Would it matter if key doctrines, number three, would it matter if three, if key doctrines are not so clearly uh, uh, presented in our modern Bibles. Uh, we've often used a couple of uh, examples here. Ephesians 3.9 says, God created all things 
by Jesus Christ. Would it matter if by Jesus Christ is taken out of your NIV? Would it matter if 1 Corinthians 15, 47 says, the second man is the Lord from heaven? Would it matter if Lord has been taken out? Would it matter if 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness, God was manifest in the flesh? Would it matter if God has been changed to He? Well, He, yes, but everybody, He, she, we're all manifest in the flesh. We want to know, does the Bible specifically say that God, was manifest in the flesh. And so that's the hallmark. That's the hallmark that's missing in your modern Bibles. And uh, so would it matter? Again, we've often used the example, if uh, they tell us an airplane can fly across the Atlantic on, it's got four engines, but if, if three of them go out, you can still fly across the Atlantic. That's a reassuring, isn't it? For emphasis, that's pretty good. <laughs> that's, but you know, if you don't mind, I would rather have all four of them. Let's just have all four of them. I don't want one of them to go out. I want all of the doctrinal passages in my Bible. Every one of them. Every, and so as you go through the modern Bibles, you discover you discover that uh, passages uh, enunciating doctrine have been uh, weakened. They're not as specific. And, uh, and sometimes, in some cases, uh, the passage is removed completely. What we will find, people say, oh, you can still declare the deity of Christ from the NIV. Yes, you can, but you'll have to work at it harder. You'll have to work at it harder. Would it matter, number four, if the word hell is not in the Old Testament of the NIV? It's been taken completely out of the Old Testament. Psalm 917 says in the AV, the wicked shall be turned into hell. Now apparently people don't mind using hell in their uh, vocabulary, a uh, fellow, uh, years ago, a fellow said he uh, said that uh, he didn't believe in hell. And he was telling a Christian, uh, he, 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 said, I, he said he didn't believe in hell. And the Christian said to him, he said, well, then why did you, why were you talking about people, why did you tell that person to go there this morning if you didn't believe in it? And so, you know, people, people don't mind using the word in their vocabulary, but they don't seem to want it in their Bible. It's been taken completely out of the modern Bibles. Uh, Psalm 917 is typical. Psalms 86.13, Thou hast delivered my soul from the lowest hell. Let me read the NIV. The wicked return to the grave, rather than the wicked shall be turned into hell. Psalms 86.13, Thou hast delivered my soul from the lowest hell, becomes, You have delivered my soul from the depths of the grave. Taken completely out of the Old Testament and reduced by one-third in the New Testament. Number five, would it matter if names of Christ and names of deity are not found uh, nearly so frequently in the New Testament. For example, the NIV has 176 fewer mentions of the names of Christ. The New American Standard Version, which is supposed, supposedly uh, more conservative, has 214 fewer mentions of Christ. Would that matter if the names have been removed? Number six, 
Would it matter if these missing uh, names frequently result, and this is strange, frequently result in a disassociation of that blessed holy name of Jesus from other names of deity, other statements of deity, miracles, etc. For example, Jesus is in on 86, 86 times we've enumerated has been disassociated from another name of deity like Christ or from a statement of a miracle uh, that Jesus healed five, uh, uh, fed 5,000 or of another statement of deity. And uh, for example, if the King James says, Matthew 4.23, Jesus went about all Galilee healing, a modern version may say, He went about all Galilee healing. So the name Jesus is removed from a statement of deity. Matthew 8.29, it says, Jesus, thou Son of God. Modern Bibles will just say, thou Son of God, thou Son of God. What about that? And number seven, would it matter if this disassociation of the name Jesus fits in with a five-fold warning at the end of your Bibles. Again, when I was first converted, I really wanted to read the Bible. And you know, every, and I thought, well, I'm going to try and read the New Testament through once a week. Didn't work. It did not work. And it'd be late Saturday night, not say, why are you up so late? I haven't completed my reading. I haven't completed my reading. I do believe in reading the Bible, but I do know, too, uh, you know, don't be mechanical about it. I like what I like, something I recommend as a good way, there's different reading plans. One that I like is I read 25 pages of the Old Testament. I have two markers in my Bible. I'll read 25 pages of the Old Testament, 25 of the New. That means I'm going to be reading the new about three times as much as the old. But and then how much I can read a day. I don't I don't set a goal. Uh, it, it seems like if you say I'll read X amount, I have to get through it. It begins mechanical. Or if you say I, I don't want you to, not to read any. So but for me that has worked. And I like to do it. I read twenty five of the old no, some days I might read one or two pages. Some days I might read a lot more than that. And, uh, but I read it every day. And so that's how we try to do it. But uh, I had this reading schedule. I wanted to know the New Testament. I said I was going to read the New Testament through every week. It didn't work. It didn't work. But I did notice something. Late on Friday, Saturday night, I'd be just reading. Usually First John was read on Saturday night. And in 1 John, I noticed some warnings, some warnings. I was reading them so quick, though, that I, that, that I kind of uh, passed over them. But I want you to notice these warnings. And this fits in with what we've just talked about. This disassociation of the name Jesus from a statement of deity. And if you look at 1 John uh, chapter 2, we've got these in our notes but look at 1 John 2, verse 22. It says, Who is a liar? But he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ. He's Antichrist. Well, doesn't everybody believe that Jesus is the Christ? But I was reading it so quick. I, you know, I, I had to get, I, had to, I still had to read. Friday, Saturday night when I was reading this, I still had to read Revelation. Uh, to, to complete my weekly Bible reading. 
So, uh, but I, so I skipped over that. But no, later on it began, when I slowed down, I began to understand. Look at 1 John chapter 4 and verse 2. It says, Hereby know we ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. Well, doesn't everybody believe that? Look at 1 John chapter 4 and verse 2. Hereby know ye the Spirit of... I'm sorry, I've left... 1 John 5 verse 1. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Indeed. Uh, We thought everyone believed that, but they do not. In verse 5. Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? Doesn't everyone believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Second John verse 7, For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. The take-home that we're giving you today is called Missing in Modern Bibles, the Old Heresy revived. Here was the heresy that John, that the the epistles of John under inspiration warn us about. The basic heresy concerning the person of Christ was that there was a very good godly man, Jesus of Nazareth. He was an ordinary man, but he lived a very godly life. And then at the age of 30, he had a crisis experience. He was baptized. And when he was baptized, he received the Christ Spirit. He became the Christ. But then he died, and the Christ Spirit went back to heaven. All right. That was the ancient heresy. That has been the basic heresy, one way or another. It's found itself in many expressions. But these two old manuscripts that form the basis of your modern versions, they have been infected with this heresy. And it was called a number of things. It was called, uh, the theological term for it was adoptionism, that God adopted Jesus of Nazareth for a while. He had the Christ Spirit. Years ago, we were living in north of Shrewsbury, and I would come down to Birmingham. We'd go to the West Midlands towns and also different places, but uh, would come down to Birmingham, standing on West Street, Passed that would pass out tracks. Met Victor Limster. That's how I got to know him on New Street back in 1988, and he came along with uh, some fellas. And uh, but then I would often go to the Birmingham Library. Uh, I haven't seen it in years and years, but I it was it's an amazing library. And uh, the, I'd go to the theological section and do a little bit of study. You had to keep your head straight, though, going in there, let me say. And, and then I, one day I went into the Birmingham Library, the theological section, the philosophy section. They had a table uh, of new books that had come in. I've forgotten the exact title, but the title was basically something like, When Jesus Became the Christ. A new book that was going to, that had just come out back in 1988, again, it's this heresy. This heresy. And this heresy, as again, had different shapes, forms, expressions down across the centuries, but it has affected the modern Bibles. And that's why we call it our take-home today, Missing in Modern Bibles, 
the old heresy uh, revived. Number eight, would it matter? Would it matter? Would it matter if the these and the thous are not there? People say, oh, you know, I could understand the modern Bible, but it's those these and thous that have caused me so much trouble. I, God, just take them. Just tell me how, how this has burdened you. How, how have you been troubled so much by this? But listen, the these and the thous are very, very important. I'm going to even show you later. People say, oh, if only we didn't have the ETH endings in our Bible. We could understand it's the eth, abideth. Why not just abides? Uh, uh, why saith? Why not just say, he says or he said? We'll get to that. The E-T-H ending is very, very important. Very, very important. We'll explain that later. But uh, the these and the thous, would it matter? Would it matter if you didn't have the these and the thous in your Bible? Turn with me to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. This is a good example. There are many examples beginning with the Garden of Eden that we could uh, demonstrate this to you. For simplicity, if it's a thee or a t, it begins with a t, thee, thou, it's singular. If it's a Y, you, ye, it's plural. So keep that in mind. The T's are singular. The Y's are plural. Now that's the way the language used to work, and most languages in the world distinguish the pronoun as to whether it's singular or plural, by using you uh, in our Bibles today, we do not know for certain. Usually the context tells us, but sometimes it doesn't. Let me give you a, a good example of this. Luke chapter 22, verse 31. Luke 22, verse 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, Behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. Now, anyone reading that that was not familiar with the wise being plural and the T's being singular, would think that God, that Christ, is only speaking to Simon Peter. Simon Peter was at the center, but he was speaking to everybody. He was probably looking right through Simon. He said, Simon, Simon, behold Satan hath desired to have you. Satan hath desired to have you that he might sift you as wheat. But then he personalizes it and says, but I have prayed for thee. All the disciples were in danger. And if you and it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, where you discover that Adam was in the conversation between Satan and Eve. And so, uh, the, Christ and Nicodemus, you see the same, ye must be born again. Well, he's just speaking to Nicodemus, but ye all. And so, this, uh, the Bible is to be a very precise instrument in our hands. It, it has to be precise. And so, uh, yes, I will agree, many times it is up, but many times it's not. 
And you've got to know. And the pronoun, so the these, the thou's, beside the matter of reverence in addressing God, very, very important. I tried to learn French uh, a number of years ago. One word I'd, I stopped trying to learn it, by the way, was important, important, très important. I think I could say that. I'd say it all the time. If they asked me anything else, that's all I could say, très important. And it, very, very, very important to know that the these and the thous, as we will also see with the ETH endings in just a moment. So would it matter? Would it matter? Would it matter? Some of you will remember this from the previous time, perhaps. And uh, dear Colin, Colin, if ever anything happens, you can take over. I mean, Colin has heard this so many times. But uh, appreciate Colin, appreciate his Bible, his uh, Bible ministry, his uh, book selling, his, he tries to get, here's the best bookseller in England. Absolutely, absolutely, the best bookseller in England. Uh, and you can trust what you buy from Colin. Your, your price is still coming down? <laughs> no. <laughs> but uh, let me just say, would it matter? Would it matter? This is our, this is our eighth, would it matter? Our eighth, I think. Would it matter? Would it matter? Would it matter? Would it matter? Actually, this is our ninth. If it's shorter, is if it's shorter in the underlying text, but wordier. And let me give you some examples here of how the modern Bibles tend to be wordier. This is some of these are from the New American Standard. Some are from the NIV. But just to show you, uh, in, in in Matthew twenty six forty one, it says, "Watch and pray." That becomes keep watching and praying. So you go from three syllables to six syllables. Uh, in uh, Mark 3, verse 3, it says, stand forth. That's two syllables. That come, becomes rise and come forward. That becomes, you go from two syllables to five syllables. Uh, Mark 3.37 simply says, watch, watch. What I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. Pretty clear. That becomes, be on the alert. So watch one syllable becomes five syllables. Be on the alert. You understand now why it's maybe a little more difficult to memorize the modern versions? You're going to have to memorize more syllables. Mark 16, verse 8 says, We're amazed. Three syllables becomes astonishment had gripped them. You go from three to seven. Verse, uh, Luke 6, verse 8, he knew their thoughts, two syllables, becomes, and that's pretty clear, isn't it? You know, we need to make it uh, uh, the Bible so that modern man can understand it. Now, I realize if you say he knew their thoughts, I understand their thoughts is pretty difficult to understand. So, uh, what they've done, they've changed the two syllables that two-syllable syllable expression, their thoughts, to one of five syllables, to what they were thinking. So you go from their thoughts to what they were thinking. Now, doesn't that make it so much easier? Really. Okay, three syllables, Luke 8, 45, who touched me becomes seven syllables. Who is the one who touched me? 
Now, you see, the King James tends to be more direct. Uh, it's a sharper sword. It's not uh, uh, bogged down. It's direct. It's to the point. That's why preachers could preach it. They, they lost their authority. They, they became wordy. They stopped memorizing Scripture. If they're so much easier, why don't you memorize them? But they don't. They don't. Now, here is a classic. John 19.3 has the one word, said. That, began, that is now one syllable. It suddenly becomes ten syllables. The one word, said, in the New American Standard Bible, becomes, they began to come up to him and say. It will take a lot of Tylenol to get rid of a headache trying to memorize the New American Standard Bible. One syllable became ten. Here's uh, another. John 8, 21. Ask them which heard me. Five words, five syllables. Uh, becomes, question those who have heard what I spoke to them. Five words becomes ten words and eleven syllables. Acts 18.9, be not afraid, but speak, becomes do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking. Be not afraid, but speak. You know, you've stripped away all excess verbiage. You've gotten right to the heart. And now it becomes, it's, it's wordy, it's encumbered. Psalm, James 5, 9, 5, 15, the prayer of faith shall save the sick, becomes the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick. We've gone from eight words to twelve words, eight syllables to fourteen syllables. Uh, and I mentioned this one. Five syllables in the King James Version. Uh, in the NIV, in the King James, it's just the simple word, the phrase, law of leprosy, becomes regulations for infectious skin diseases and mildew. Well, that makes it so much easier to understand and so much simpler. No, uh, and here's, a, here's one that really makes it so much easier for us. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees has now been changed in the NIV. Watch out. Now, I want you to be serious about this. What I'm about to, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Are you well bolted down now? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees becomes... Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees. Can you imagine saying, yeah, you need to beware of yeast. Yeast. So, leaven, yeast. Anyway, anyway. Uh, would it matter? Would it matter? A tenth would it matter? And with this, we'll close this part here. Would it matter if Frequently, when you look at Old Testament messianic prophecy, that there's been some chipping away at it, some diminishing of it, some questioning of it. And if you don't see it in the text, you'll see it in the footnotes. And so, uh, let me give you an example. Look at Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. Micah 5 and verse 2. Now here is one of our great Christmas passages. Micah 5 and verse 2. But thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, Yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel. Up to that point, the NIV is different, but it's within the bounds of acceptability. 
But then it goes on to say, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. Now, in the NIV, everlasting has been changed to ancient days. That's not the same. And whose goings forth have been changed to origins. Our Savior did not have an origin. And how can pastors go through the Christmas story every year and they can read Micah 5, verse 2, and they read that blasphemous statement that our Savior had an origin. No, He's from everlasting. His goings forth, huge difference, big difference between ancient days and everlasting, but unsearchable difference between origin and whose goings forth. Why not a cry out against this? No, this is where we are today. When the Son of Man cometh, Luke 18, verse 8, will he find faith on the earth? That's where we are. That's where we are. No, he's coming. Let me just bring out just a couple of points. Uh, let me just stop right there. You know, we always used to preface this meeting by saying, if you have questions, if you uh, would limit your questions to those that, that we know the answer to. Because <laughs> it really makes it go a lot more smoothly. <laughs> but up to this point, we're going to deal with a lot of the other matters uh, and uh, in this booklet. And this is a, uh, uh, you can take this and look at it more in detail, but I'm I'm going to take you through this, and this gives an overview of the issue. And some of your questions may be dealt with when we come to this. But looking at it at this point, before we have a, a brief break here, uh, do, you have a, do you have a question that you'd like to ask, or maybe a point you'd like to make about uh, what we've said up to this point? We miss having David Ellsmore with us. I've already asked Colin, they usually, usually always asked David a question, or asked a question. David always answered it, and I am not certain I know the answer to it. I asked Colin if he did, so please don't answer that, ask that question that is asked every time. But David's not here to, but I won't want to, anyway. Do you have a question? The King James, yeah. It, you're right. It affects the heart, and you just know it has the ring of truth. It really does. And we're going to discover it's not just the language, because the King James language is frankly a language that was never ever spoken anywhere. It's unique. It's, they say, oh, it's old Elizabethan English. We don't want to go back to Shakespearean Elizabethan English. If you went back there, you would discover the King James English was not that. It was a different kind of English altogether. And uh, it's, uh, and it has, you're absolutely right. It's almost better felt than telt, as the preachers in Tennessee used to say. They, they, it just affects the heart. And uh, I used to like to say, you know, the NIV language, we'll read it side by side, and even if it doesn't have uh, some of these glaring doctrinal problems, it's Formica flat. Do we still use Formica? I, ho I hope we do, because I keep using this, uh, but that's an old, it was Formica flat. Uh, nobody knows what Formica is, I mean. <laughs> but it's just flat. It's flat. But the AV, it's pools of water. It's something you can meditate in. It, it just uh, touches the heart. Yes. I wish I knew. I really wish I knew. Some of it is peer pressure. 
Uh, peer pressure is a great pressure. What our friends are, those that we are with, our other, maybe it may be pastors, it may, for pastors it's often an alma mater, it was what my school believed. I don't want to break ranks with my friends. Also, I go to a big church that uses the NIV, you go to a little church that uses the King James. Uh, I don't want to cross that line. I do find that if I can get a person to, and this is why we presented this, if I can get them just to read the first half of it, and all there is here is a, vis a visual presentation that there's a lot missing. So whatever other arguments, here is a graphic display that a lot's missing. So you've got to explain that. I'm sorry, uh, you can't keep flying beneath the radar. You can't just be ignorance is bliss. You're going to have to now acknowledge a lot is missing. So did they add it to our Bible, or did they take it away from your Bible? So the, I, I do approach it like that. And if I can get my foot in the door on that point, then I'm a little bit better, got a better opportunity maybe to go a bit further. And then what did you say to me on the phone? You said something uh, that really, uh, I, I want you to tell, you made a statement about some that go over the, and I thought, well, I'm going to copy that down, and I'm going to use it and claim that as original, and you've already forgotten it. <laughs> But it was, it was a great statement. You need to remember it. <laughs> so I can use it. <laughs> but it, but it, 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 because some have gone further, it's like the old statement, can a Pentecostal go to heaven? Yes, provided he doesn't shoot past it. You know, uh, you know it, it was something like that. It was kind of a statement like that. It wasn't that. It wasn't that. But, uh, uh, you know, you, you have, uh, why, why is it that, uh, but it is a mystery. It is a mystery why people cannot see this. Well, the, we're saved by believing the gospel. And you can get the gospel in the NIV, but you'll have to look a bit harder for it. And you'll find that it's not as clearly enunciated. And you'll also find that the men who, um, you know, I like the old Schofield Bible. I like Schofield's notes. But, and then I got a Ryrie Study Bible. My dear wife, uh, she said, you know, I just think Schofield prayed harder over his notes than Ryrie did over his. And I agree. And I do know, <laughs> you know, what we preachers would do without our wives keeping us online on these things. <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, the AV, the men were great scholars, but I'm go I have got statements here. And this is, again, one reason why I hung on to this book I bought in Birmingham. Actually, the bookshop has gone out of business. It, was, it wasn't uh, Waterstones. It was, began with a D. One of the biggest bookshops I ever... Dillon's. Yeah, I don't think they're there anymore. Yeah. Anyway, I got this because this had the complete preface of the translators to the readers in it. Most will have just the uh, 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 translators to the king. Now, this is far too long to read, but, but, what we've done is, <laughs> we've made it easier, we've got, we've shortened it. <laughs> we've taken some words out. <laughs> Key passages. <laughs> no, we've, we've repeated for this day and age, the most essential part of it that you need to have. And listen, these men, as they say, 
sought him that hath the key of David. And my reading this, uh, and I thought this is so good that I want to put it in here, and uh, at least the, the essential parts of it, and you read it, and you realize not only were they the greatest scholars of the time, but they were men that spent huge amounts of time in the presence of God. And uh, just men of, of prayer, and, and you compare that with the kind of scholarship today, and it really is, is, is different. But we actually close with, we call it the great contrast. And we take some of the statements from this uh, preface. And, and what was the original? Oh, yes. <laughs> Sorry. We, this is how we go on and on. But appreciate your point. And, and for everyone today, I think, uh, I mean, I went through this a bit too. It is a wrestling match. I, I left the AV, went to the, NI, went to the NASB, because I was told in my Bible college that's what we ought to do, and made a serious effort at it. And again, God and grace had to show me that, no, but it's grand to have you here today, though. Yes. You have to beware of that, and all of... No, they knew, they, they, they did it. And actually, my alma mater got out a King James Bible that they sent to us, and uh, it was a very handy New Testament, they, that edition, and that came from Nelson. And so all of the publishers today, you have to, you can't take anything without looking at it. You've got to be aware of everything. Used to be the greatest joy when I was first converted was to go into a Christian bookshop. You could trust maybe 80% of what you found there. It was great. Today, that's all changed. Just to go into a Wesley Owens today, or, you know, you, you come out and you're shell-shocked. And uh, so all of the publishers, uh, uh, you, you've got to watch them. Zondervan went off the rails years ago. Moody Press years ago. Uh, they went in it, much of them went in it for profit. Uh, to begin with, it, they, they often had a philosophy. It was like Colin here. Uh, well, Colin sells, has to sell his books, and he should get a little extra for it. And, he, and if you did give Colin a little bit extra, it probably wouldn't hurt him. It wouldn't go to your head a bit, would it? I mean, if we, uh, it, you wouldn't say if, if you got a little bit extra, it would be like Psalm 62, verse 10, if riches increase, set not thine heart upon them. Uh, he won't set his heart upon it. But for most of these booksellers, uh, it's profit. And every time you bring out a new edition, you know, uh, and they keep bringing out new editions of the NIV, the New King James has gone through a number of different editions. Sometimes they change it, they don't tell you. But uh, uh, again, the profit motive. But for many who have gone into Christian literature to begin with, it was Proverbs 23, 23. Buy the truth and sell it not. Just get it out there. Uh, go get it and get it out. And, but today, the profit motive is very much uh, in evidence with, with modern publishers and those that you mentioned. He asked, what about some of these publishers like uh, uh, Zondervan, Nelson, that are bringing out King James editions that have slight changes in them. And, uh, and I think this is something we need to be aware of. Generally, I recommend getting a Cambridge Bible. I think uh, a Cambridge Bible is... It's... The, the TBS uses the, uh, the Cambridge. The, uh, there's a couple of... It, they're, they're so absolutely, totally close. 
And the old, the Oxford is fine too, but a couple of places where we think a correction, a, 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 a printing correction has been made in Cambridge that was not made in Oxford. So slight, but uh, you'd never notice. Like wine vat or wine fat, something like that. But uh, the American publishers, you've got to watch them. Well, well, folks, let's just have just a closing prayer here, and then we'll take up shortly. Father, we are thankful. We're thankful, Lord. Uh, thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. And, Lord, we're thankful. Uh, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. We thank thee for it. And uh, it is our bread. And, and Lord, we're thankful that... Uh, that you, you've given us this for our chart and compass in this lower world through this minefield that we find ourselves in on our pilgrim walk, uh, looking forward to that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior. But bless now, uh, we pray, bless the refreshments in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.